I'm going to switch microphones here, if that's all right. Um, I am struggling a little bit this morning with um, something that 50% of the uh, population struggle with, the man flu. So some of you just won't know what that's like, but trust me, it's really, really bad. Um, so I'm going to have to slow down. If you see me just kind of stopping and going, it's because I can't breathe, as, I can't speak as quickly as I normally do, so I'm going to have to try and pace myself a little bit. But I think we've got about three hours, so <laughs> we'll be all right. So we will, we'll be fine. Uh, no, it shouldn't be, shouldn't be anywhere near that length of time. Uh, for those of you who are here for the first time as a guest or a visitor, which is most of us actually this morning, we are currently in the middle of a series called Acts Led by His Spirit. Uh, Keith uh, spoke last week and covered the whole of chapter 17 and did a tremendous job. Um, it will be going up live soon on our podcast, um, so you can you can listen back if you missed it. Uh, this week I'm going to cover the first 18 verses of chapter 18, which is uh, an account of Paul's time in Corinth where he planted a church to whom he would go on to write the pastoral letters that we know as 1st and 2nd Corinthians. Corinth was a prosperous and busy seaport about 50 miles from Athens where Paul had just visited previously. Uh, he didn't spend all that long in Athens, but he would go on to spend 18 months in Corinth, which for Paul was actually quite a long stopover. And throughout our series, uh, we're going right back to the early church, the first followers of Jesus, to try and understand what it means to be a people who are led by the Holy Spirit? That's the question that we're asking. And what I love about our passage today, which we'll get into in a minute or so, is that it tells us not just about how Paul ministered in the power of the Holy Spirit, but it also tells us how the Holy Spirit ministered to Paul. Paul arrived in Corinth feeling uh, discouraged and fearful. Um, and we know this because years later he would write to the church in Corinth and he would say, When I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. At this point in the story, Paul had been traveling from city to city, preaching and telling people everywhere he went about the good news of Jesus. He had had uh, significant success, but he had also experienced pers constant persecution in the face of people who were hardened to the gospel. He'd been able to preach in, in many places, but he hadn't actually been able to stay and see out the establishment of churches. He was always having to flee from place to place as the authorities and religious elites chased him out of the cities. So it would have been easy for him to think that his efforts were perhaps unsuccessful. Maybe his expectations weren't fully met. 
The constant movement and living with so much uncertainty must have been absolutely exhausting. And it's tempting for us as we read back at all of Paul's letters and and the book of Acts, it's tempting to think of him as some sort of spiritual superhero. But all the bumps in the road had actually left a mark on his soul. Paul was feeling tired, discouraged, and in need of a fresh encounter with the Spirit of God. So with that in mind, we're going to pick up the story in chapter 18, verse 1. It's quite a long passage, so uh, I'm just going to read it, and then I'm going to talk a bit about it. So, chapter 18, verse 1. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had ordered all Jews to leave Rome. Paul went to see them, and because he was a tent maker as they were, he stayed and worked with them. Every Sabbath he reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Macedonia Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. But when they opposed Paul and became abusive, he shook out his clothes in protest and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent of it. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. Then Paul left the synagogue and went next door to the house of Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. Crispus, the synagogue leader, and his entire household believed in the Lord And many of the Corinthians who heard Paul believed and were baptized. One night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent. For I am with you. And no one is going to attack and harm you. Because I have many people in this city. So Paul stayed in Corinth for a year and a half. Teaching the word of God. While Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews of Corinth made a united attack on Paul and brought him to the place of judgment. This man, they charged, is persuading the people to worship God in ways contrary to the law. Just as Paul was about to speak, Gallio said to them, If you Jews were making a complaint about some misdemeanor or serious crime, it would be reasonable for me to listen to you. But since it involves questions about words and names and your own law, settle the matter yourselves. I will not be a judge of such things. So he drove them off. Then the crowd there turned on Sosthenes, the synagogue leader, and beat him in front of the proconsul. And Gallio showed no concern whatsoever. Paul stayed on in Corinth for some time. Then he left the brothers and sisters and sailed for Syria, accompanied by Priscilla and Aquila. Before he sailed, he had his hair cut off at Sancreae because of a vow he had taken. Alrighty, there's an awful lot in that, isn't there? That's a whistle-stop tour. 18 verses for Paul's 18 months in Corinth. And there were several things that God did in Corinth during that time to give Paul renewed strength and renewed courage. Maybe today you've come here feeling discouraged and you need renewed strength and renewed courage. Well, if that's the case, listen up because I think God might want to speak to you today. So what happened in Corinth? Well, the first thing that happened was that God gave Paul 
the gift of new friends to encourage him. God knows what we need when we need it. The author of Acts, Luke, the physician, he didn't use many words here. He was cramming so much into the book of Acts, so it's hard to see the scale of God's provision at first glance. You have to read around it a little bit, and you have to go back into some of Paul's letters to find clues as to what really happened in Corinth. So let's just back up a minute and see what's really going on here. Prior to encountering Jesus on the Damascus Road, Saul of Tarsus, otherwise known as Paul, had been a Hebrew Pharisee. When he was still fairly young, he would have uh, been sent to Jerusalem so that he could have been educated at the school of a renowned rabbi going by the name of Gamaliel. That's not the same person that Freddie Mercury used to sing about. (laughs) <laughs> the Jews, uh, had Jewish law demanded that young theological students be taught a trade, and Paul's trade was that of a tent maker and leather worker. He wouldn't have had a GoFundMe page. He wouldn't have had a Just Giving page. He didn't receive a salary from a big church, or he didn't get a salary from Saul of Tarsus Ministries.com. He worked with his hands to earn a living. And as Paul entered Corinth, it was likely that he looked for a job, probably asking somewhere, someone wherever he went where he could find a master tent maker or leather worker. And this ultimately led him to meet Priscilla and Aquila. And they ran their own business. And so not only did Paul and Priscilla and Aquila form a fruitful business partnership together, but they were Christians who would go on to form a loyal and committed friendship with Paul. And in fact, they would go on to become partners in ministry together. This was a significant friendship. This was a significant partnership. And later in Paul's life, he would write to the church in Rome, and he would describe Aquila and Priscilla as his fellow workers in Christ Jesus who risked their lives for him. He would describe them as people to whom all of the churches of the Gentiles are grateful. So clearly, this meeting was deeply significant. It was more than just chance. This was a divine appointment. Paul had been well and truly set up. He arrived in Corinth discouraged, exhausted, and needing a job as well. Not only did he get the job that he needed, but God put people around him to minister to him and to encourage him. Maybe some of you today, you need a job. Maybe you need people around you to discourage you, to encourage you. We don't need people to discourage us. Maybe you need people around you to encourage you. There's hope for you today. God knows what you need when you need it. Paul might have been discouraged, but he hadn't given up. He was still putting one foot in front of the other. He could have headed home but he persevered. And when it looked like he was right at the end of his tether, God moved. This is what living by faith looks like. Trusting God for all that we need. And he leads us step by step by step. Sometimes uh, living by faith is 
A bit like walking across a rope bridge, just like this one here. But if you can imagine uh, the mist that you see there, perhaps a little bit worse, maybe three, four, five times worse, that so you can't actually see, you know, 10, 20 centimeters in front of you. So dense that you don't know where your next footstep is going to take you. But you're trusting that the bridge isn't missing any of the planks. You're trusting that you're not going to fly through and end up on the rocks or the sea or whatever it is below. In faith, we step forward into the unknown, trusting that God will provide what we need when we need it. And that's exactly what he did for Paul. Paul thought he knew what he needed, but God knew better. So he didn't just get a job. He got a job and he got friends as well. And it wasn't just Aquila and Priscilla. The second piece of encouragement which Paul received was the arrival of his fellow workers, Silas and Timothy, who had traveled from Macedonia. And they brought good news about the Christians in Thessalonica. We can read about this in 1 Thessalonians 3, which says, But Timothy has just now come to us from you and has brought good news about your faith and love. He has told us that you always have pleasant memories of us and that you long to see us just as we long to see you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in all our distress and persecution, we were encouraged about you because of your faith. Paul arrived in Corinth feeling discouraged, feeling distressed, perhaps feeling like he hadn't been as fruitful as what he had hoped for. And in his moment of need, along comes Timothy. Paul, that time you spent ministering in Thessalonica, it wasn't wasted. Let me tell you about what God has done amongst the people there. Let me tell you about what God has done because of your faithfulness. What a moment of encouragement for Paul. And it gets even better. Not only did Silas and Timothy bring good news about Thessalonica, but they brought a financial gift from the congregation at Philippi. Large enough that Paul was able to focus entirely on the task of preaching. No more double jobbing, tent making and leather making and preaching. He could concentrate fully on what he had been called to do. God knows what we need when we need it. If we stay the course, if we're willing to align our hearts with his timing, we will see his faithfulness. And we were singing about it earlier, faithful one, so unchanging. He will come through when we need it. But of course, I don't know about you, but the challenge for me is I don't really like waiting. We want certainty and we want comfort. We want to see and we want to be sure. We want to know what's around the next bend in the road. But faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we don't see. This is what the ancients were commended for. If we want to be people who are led by his spirit, we need to accept the vulnerability that comes from walking by faith. And it's hard. God's not in a hurry. He's not in a rush. He knows that we are eternal beings and he does his best work in us during seasons of waiting. 
Now, what I will say is I want you to know that not every hardship we face is from God. Some of it comes of our own making. Some of it's the work of the enemy of our soul. But some of the hardship we face, God permits it so that we may learn to trust him in times of trouble and suffering. It's in the act of surrendering our will to him that we learn to trust in his timings, to rest assured that he has what we need when we need it. Paul had endured. He had walked by faith. He had persevered even in times of hardship and persecution, even though he was living without certainty and without comfort. He came into Corinth not knowing where he was going to lay his head or where his next paycheck was coming from. That's a challenge about living by faith. James chapter 1 verse 2 says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. My uh, father-in-law sent me those verses uh, when I was going through a difficult season about three and a half years ago, and I'll be honest, I was quite annoyed wasn't received with gratitude. If he was there, I might have punched him. Please don't tell him that if you know my father or not. I've got over it. There were so many hard things going on in my life at that time, and I wanted the difficult circumstances that I faced just to disappear. I wanted them to be gone. I wanted life to be rosy again. I wanted it to be easy and certain and comfortable. And instead, I got this. Go away. But I did all that I knew how to do. Like the little boy with the loaves and three fish, I brought all that I had to Jesus. I allowed him to meet me in my time of sorrow and stress and hardship. And I learned a little bit more about what trust looks like. And looking back now, I can see he had me where I needed to be. He was working in my waiting. You see, trust transforms us. It brings us up close to Jesus so that his character can permeate our lives. The prophet Jeremiah spoke about trust. Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when the heat comes in, its leaves are always green has no worries in a year of drought, and it never fails to bear fruit. God knows what we need when we need it. Our job is to trust him, to rely on him. So, so much has happened already. Paul is being renewed by the power of the Holy Spirit in Corinth. But it gets even better. As we read on, we see that there was a fourth thing that God did. He gave Paul a vision in which he spoke right into the fear that had been niggling at Paul ever since he arrived in Corinth. Paul knew that every time he preached the word of God, the same thing happened. Eventually, people turned on him and kicked him out of the city, and Paul could see that it was beginning to happen again. After a number of months in the synagogue, the Jews opposed Paul and became abusive. I'm sure he must have thought, here we go again. 
But this time Paul was really enjoying Corinth. He didn't want to leave. He had friends there. And he was surrounded by his partners in ministry. So it would have been really tempting for him to try and play it safe. To not take risks. To try not to offend or annoy people. And so Paul needed the tender touch of Jesus to heal his fearful heart. Verse 9. One night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent for I am with you. And no one is going to attack and harm you. Because I have many people in this city. I uh, remember whenever I used to go to the park with my oldest son, Joshua, whenever he was just uh, a little toddler. Uh, He's 13 now, and uh, he won't love me saying this, but uh, he wasn't um, particularly confident when it came to climbing up on climbing frames and crossing bridges and and all that sort of stuff. And I I spent a lot of time with him, reassuring him uh, whenever he was climbing up ladders and things like that. I'm right below you, son. I'll catch you if you fall. Don't worry, I've got you. Uh, and then I would climb up after him, and then I would walk across the bridge with him holding his hand. And the more I did this, as time went on, his confidence grew because he knew that I was with him and nothing bad could happen to him. At least that's what he thought. Each one of us have so many moments in our journey of faith when we need to hear the reassuring words of Jesus saying, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. I'm with you. I'm right here with you. I've got you. Do not be afraid. The enemy uses fear as a weapon to disrupt our faith, to stop us doing the very things that we were made to do. He'll use fear to keep us stationary, to cause us to play it safe. He'll use fear to drive us to control our own circumstances or our relationships. But fear distorts how we see things. It brings dysfunction into our decision-making and into our relationships. It causes us to react to a crisis irrationally rather than respond with peace and faith. Fear is the belief that someone or something poses uh, a threat. It's the anticipation of danger, evil, or pain, real or imaginary, and it can be crippling and controlling. And there's so many things that we can be afraid of. Maybe you resonate with some of these. Fear of death. Fear of failure, fear of rejection, fear of making mistakes and messing up, fear of physical pain, fear of something hurting your children physically or emotionally. We're at that stage now where my eldest is 13, as I say, and it's he, he, he just doesn't want us involved in his life as much as we were, and we've got to trust that God has him. That's a big one. Fear of something hurting your children physically or emotionally. Fear of messing up your children. Fear of running out of money. Fear of not being able to provide for your family. Fear of people's opinions. And I could go on and on and on. There's so many things that we could be afraid of. But the good news is Jesus overcame every single fear. He overcame fear, full stop. 
First John 4, verse 18 says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. Fear disappears when we step into the presence of Jesus. There is there in his presence. We're surrounded by his absolutely perfect love. In his presence, all fear is gone. All fear is gone. In his presence, we are reminded that we're loved, that we're in safe hands, that we can trust him, that he cares for all that he has made, that he protects us and he provides for us. In Corinth, Jesus met Paul in his desolation. He surrounded him with his love and he spoke peace into his heart and he can do the same thing for you. And here's the thing. It's not a one-off visitation. We can actually cultivate rhythms in our lives that keep us abiding in God's perfect love where there is no fear. So the way to overcome our fear and our doubts is to build a life of daily encounter. That's what living by faith looks like. We need to hear his voice afresh every single day. We can't live off yesterday's manna and we don't need to either. His miracles are new every single morning. He has more than enough for us. These are challenging and uncertain times. We've heard that a lot for the last six or seven years or so, and it just keeps getting more challenging and more uncertain. It seems like the enemy has turned up the dial on fear. Just last week, Foreign Secretary and former Prime Minister David Cameron said this, the world has changed significantly since I first entered government and we live in very unstable uncertain and dangerous times. There's a lot of stuff that we can be afraid of. But perfect love casts out fear. We are the people of Jesus and we are uniquely positioned in these times to be a non-anxious presence to the world around us. Let's choose faith over fear. The world needs it and we need it. I actually think if we can choose faith over fear, it's deeply attractive in a world that is being sucked into more fear, more uncertainty. Let's choose faith over fear. The last thing I want to talk about in the, the vision of Jesus, uh, in the vision Jesus promised Paul that no one is going to attack and harm you because I have many people in the city. So what happened next? Uh, we read that Paul stays in Corinth for a year and a half. About halfway through that time, the Jews did attempt to put Paul on trial. They uh, brought him to the place of judgment, which was this large raised platform in the marketplace uh, just in front of the residence of the proconsul. And it served as a forum uh, where he would have tried cases. Uh, Gallio hadn't been all that long appointed, and so the Jews decided that they were going to try him out a bit. They were going to see if they could get him on their side. But Jesus had promised Paul that no harm would come to him, and he was faithful to that promise. Gallio told the Jews, I will not be a judge of su such things, and he told them to get away. And Paul did stay on in Corinth for some time. He did eventually leave um, just to go on the next leg of his missionary journey, but he wasn't driven out this time as he had been in so many other places. 
So just as Paul did, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For the one who promised is faithful. He will never leave us nor forsake us. I'm going to wrap up here in a moment if uh, Mikey and Rachel want to come back up. Um, This morning, maybe the Holy Spirit has been stirring your heart, and I want to invite you to respond. Uh, Perhaps you're feeling discouraged like Paul was. Perhaps uh, you've been faithful pursuing God's call on your life, but what you see now doesn't look to you like fruitfulness. Perhaps you're a parent and you feel discouraged. There's things going on in the life of your family that's discouraging you. Whatever the source of discouragement, I want to invite you at the end, we're going to have a prayer ministry team. I want to invite you to come forward and receive some prayer. I believe that God wants to put courage into your heart today. Perhaps you're, you're fearful. Perhaps it's gripped your heart and it's ruled your emotions. Perhaps it's been the source of your decision making and it's set the trajectory of your life. And if that's you, I would love to pray for you. Jesus is here and he can speak right into your fearful heart today. He can surround you with his perfect love. And maybe for some of us, We haven't maybe been as faithful as Paul was. Perhaps we've given up when the goings got tough. And if that's you, there's grace for you today. There's restoration. The prophet Elijah had a breakdown. He was down and out and God lifted him up and restored him. For those of us who were here a number of months ago when we were back in Acts chapter 13, John Mark gave up. He deserted Paul. But God in his grace and mercy restored him and he can restore you today so if any of that resonates with you we'd love to pray for you at the end there's going to be a prayer ministry team up here uh, and we'd love to pray for you after we sing this last song